Welcome to the Right Brain Journeys podcast, a place for young professionals, recent graduates, and aspiring leaders to hear from mentors and gain valuable business and professional communication soft skills and insights. I'm Gino Parati, and I'm an expert in the field of interpersonal communication, which means that I study human behavior in the context of relationships. I'm a published author on the subjects of culture, gender, nonverbal communication, and soft skills such as public speaking. I've worked in the corporate world in the field of training and development, and have been a lecturer at some of the largest and most prestigious universities and colleges in the U.S. So, I've seen firsthand how powerful communication is for us as professionals. And now, I serve with this knowledge as an educator, coach, and mentor. I've created this podcast to make business and professional communication soft skills and insights accessible and actionable with the goal of helping us achieve success in the workplace. For this episode of the Right Brain Journeys podcast, we are exploring how we adapt the way that we communicate in the workplace so that we will be perceived as a professional. We'll hear some advantages and disadvantages that people experience and explore the related concepts of communication, accommodation theory, and code switching to more deeply understand what we're experiencing. My goal with this episode is to let young professionals, recent graduates, and aspiring leaders learn how the concepts of communication accommodation theory and code switching show up in our real-world professional lives. Hearing other people's stories can help you to prepare for your own workplace experiences by maximizing the advantages of these concepts and minimizing the disadvantages. It's common that your industry and specific workplace culture will have norms for the language that you're expected to use and avoid as a professional. And the same goes with nonverbal aspects, such as appearance and behavior standards. Some of these norms and standards will be explicitly and formally communicated to you, such as a dress code policy in the organization's employee handbook. And others are more implicit, where no one tells you that you shouldn't say or do that thing in the workplace but you quickly discover that you shouldn't after you've already done it and you're corrected or reprimanded with the intention to get you to conform to these implicit norms, the ones not clearly and openly communicated. Establishing norms and standards can have a lot of advantages and benefits, such as teaching employees sales best practices and effective communication strategies to interact with customers, building organizational culture which can enhance a feeling of belonging amongst employees. This is often good for our psychological well-being, as humans are tribe animals and we want to belong. And it can also lead to better financial results for the organization. Establishing norms and standards can also provide protection for both the employees and the organization. For example, sexual harassment policies that explicitly state what's unacceptable behavior that can contribute to a hostile work environment. When it's clearly stated, it's easier to avoid and sets the expectation that employees will follow the policy. This can make our work environment a more safe and less socially awkward place so that we can show up to work ready to give our full attention and energy to the work tasks. Though no policy, person, or organization can absolutely guarantee your safety. These benefits, these advantages, align with what's described by Communication Accommodation Theory This theory explains that good communicators will adapt their communication style to appeal to the listener. 
Communication accommodation theory recognizes that the responsibility for listening is a shared one. At least 50% of the responsibility belongs to the speaker to deliver the message in a way that invites and facilitates effective listening for the receiver of that message. When our customers or coworkers have a general expectation for how a professional in our field should speak, appear, and behave, communication accommodation theory suggests that our communication with those customers or coworkers will be most effective if we're willing and able to meet those expectations. Simply because adjusting what we say and do will allow them to see us as a professional. So there can be some really good advantages to adapting the way that we communicate in the workplace. Now let's explore the potential costs of gaining those advantages by looking at the concept of code switching. Harvard Business Review's article, The Costs of Code Switching, from November 2019, says that, broadly, code switching involves adjusting one style of speech, appearance, behavior, and expression in ways that will optimize the comfort of others in exchange for fair treatment, quality service, and employment opportunities. In a more simplistic way of thinking about it, code switching is like being bilingual, but in both your language and your culture. In the article, Code Switching, What Does It Mean and Why Do People Do It? from MSN, psychologist Beverly Tatum explains that there are two types of code switching, language-based and culture-based. So we can adapt our verbal and nonverbal communication when code switching. The links to these articles will be in the show notes of this episode. At this point, it sounds a lot like communication accommodation theory. The big and important difference that I see with code switching is that it acknowledges the power imbalances that exist for those of us who are marginalized. Those who have the power to establish the standards and norms gain a privilege since their communication style becomes the norm. It's the professional expectation. Therefore, they have the privilege of not having to do the emotional labor that goes into code switching effectively. What is emotional labor? Penn State's College of the Liberal Arts website defines it as managing emotions during interactions to achieve professional goals and conform to work rule requirements. Why is it a privilege to not have to do emotional labor in the workplace? Penn State says, emotional labor, like physical labor, is effortful and fatiguing when done repeatedly all day long and can be costly in terms of performance errors and job burnout. Research has also shown that the anxiety and fatigue spills over to harm home life in the form of reduced helping at home, insomnia, and increased alcohol consumption. I said that those of us who are marginalized, and there are many of us who are marginalized in some way, will likely have to do more code switching in the workplace, and therefore, more emotional labor. To help us understand what marginalized means, I'll refer back to the MSN article that I mentioned earlier. Miles Durkee, an assistant professor of psychology at the University of Michigan, says that code switching can happen across any social identity, such as race, religious identity, social class, and sexual identity. This list is not exclusive, as there are many more social identities. So, those of us who don't automatically fit the norm or standard for the social identity expected for our profession or workplace culture may find ourselves having to code switch in order to adapt to the professional expectation. I posted on LinkedIn that I was going to be recording a podcast on this topic 
and invited people to share their stories. Now, with a basic understanding of communication accommodation theory and code switching, let's hear from a few real-world professionals about how they voluntarily applied communication accommodation theory to obtain good results in the workplace and when they felt the emotional labor of having to code switch in order to meet norms and expectations. Some of the featured guests invite you to connect with them if you'd like, and we've put their social media or email information in the show notes for this episode. This is FZ, Fatima Zora. We worked together last year on her company's brand pitch. My name is Fatima Zora. I also go by FZ. I'm currently the marketing manager for an asset management company in Morocco. And I'm also an entrepreneur and founder of Zora, an ethical and sustainable chocolate company empowering women along our supply chain. So my work with Zora allows me to use a communication accommodation theory, especially when it pertains to the different places that I work in. Since um, we are working directly with farmers in West Africa and manufacturers in the U.S., there are different cultural norms and traditions um, and just ways of communication in each place. And so I definitely find myself changing the way that I approach dialogue with our manufacturers based in the U.S. versus an individual that we are working with in Ghana. I voluntarily accommodate my interactions in these different areas accordingly to allow the conversation to flow as best as I can. And I definitely have used um, code switching, especially when I was at working at my first job right out of college in New York. Uh, it was for a consulting firm. And as a North African Muslim woman, I definitely wanted to belong. So I would edit what I would say, especially when talking about myself, as not to divulge too much information and try to blend in as much as possible. So I guess at some point, at the very start of my career, I felt like race and religion um, were something that I had to deny and, and not really advertise. And the impact for me on code switching were that at some point I felt like I was no longer accepting myself. And that realization allowed me to understand how counterproductive that was to my own success as a professional and my growth as a person. I assumed that adopting code switching would help, but it actually nurtured and fed so many insecurities that I never had before. So that experience did teach me to be able to speak my truth and um, fully embody my true self. Thank you for listening. This is Lillian. She's a former student who has taken a few of my college level courses. Hi, my name is Lillian and I am a communications coordinator based in New York City. I modify my communication style every day while at work because as a communications coordinator, it's my job to make sure that my team is on the same page so that we can deliver our project on time. That usually means that I'm putting out fires because there was an initial miscommunication. I'm usually very bubbly and informal, but I have this pressure to edit my tone so that I can come off as professional to my team. I always feel that it's better to come into a tense situation with a calm and cool attitude so that I can invite my team to not only listen to me, but also listen to one another. I'm a first-generation American Latina from a small neighborhood in Queens, so I code switch a lot, but especially when I'm kicking off a new project with a new team. I don't deny who I am, but I definitely don't show all of myself during my first interaction with the new team. 
It's a bit emotionally exhausting, but once I'm comfortable with my team and I've proven myself through my leadership skills, I'll often open up and my bubbly self will come out. While code switching is exhausting, the one positive thing that came from it is that it made me seek out other Latinx employees at my job, which allowed me to build a support network of friends that not only understand my experience, but also support me and provide mentorship. And finally, here is my story. I am Gino. I am an educator, coach, and mentor for both public colleges and through my own consulting work with my learning and development company, Right Brain Journeys. As a teacher, I try to use communication accommodation theory often so that I invite my students to listen and help them retain the lecture material. An example of this is the way that I edit my personal sense of humor for the workplace so that I act professionally in the classroom by meeting industry expectations, norms, and standards. My personal sense of humor is like the cartoon Big Mouth on Netflix. It's sexual humor. I love that cartoon, and I think it's so funny because it matches my personal sense of humor. They say out loud the kinds of humorous things that run through my head, but that I'm socially conscious enough not to say out loud, as it would likely offend others who don't share my personal sense of humor. Knowing this, I voluntarily accommodate the social situation in the classroom, because I don't want to offend anyone. What I do want is to help students think about our subject matter. So I edit what I say in order to avoid sexual humor and social awkwardness, and to be a professional at work. And I emphasize voluntary here, as I want to do this. For code switching and the emotional labor that goes into it, a good personal example in the workplace for me relates to being a gay man. I've worked in some places where I don't feel marginalized for my sexual orientation, but I have also worked in other businesses where the clear assumption, the underlying expectation, was that being heterosexual is the norm. Some co-workers and customers would just assume that I was married and to a woman. I was neither. I was single and dated men. The personal cost to me for co-twitching was emotional labor that showed up in the background thoughts of how to navigate those interactions. For example, should I correct this person's assumptions about me and out myself as gay to them? I am openly gay, but I'm also not required to disclose my sexual orientation. It's none of their business for the context of our professional interaction. And if I do decide to correct them, what's the best way to do it because I know their intention wasn't to marginalize or offend me, so I want to do it in a way that's polite. Then, what do I say? How do I say it? And when during the conversation do I say it? It's the working through all of these types of questions while having the actual conversation itself that is the emotional labor. The background thinking and questioning takes energy away from the actual task. The code switching showed up in ways beyond language too, like... Do I display a photo of my boyfriend, if I had one at the time? A bunch of other co-workers in heterosexual relationships had photos of their partners. But then again, they were in heterosexual relationships. They matched the norm. So how would they respond to my same-sex photo? And would they ask awkward questions about the photo that wouldn't be asked to a person in a heterosexual relationship? Like, is that your brother because you don't look alike? It takes emotional labor to navigate this. For me, code switching took the shape of being more heteronormative at work in order to, as Harvard Business Review's article mentions, 
optimize the comfort of others in exchange for fair treatment, quality service, and employment opportunities. Here are the takeaways for this episode about communication accommodation theory and code switching in the workplace. There are advantages and disadvantages that people experience with communication accommodation theory and code switching. Communication accommodation theory explains that good communicators will adapt their communication style to appeal to the listener. Code switching involves adjusting one's verbal and nonverbal communication to optimize the comfort of others in exchange for access to advantages. It's common that your industry and specific workplace culture will have norms for the profession. Establishing professional norms and standards can have a lot of advantages and benefits. These benefits can be gained by applying communication accommodation theory. The big and important difference between code switching versus communication accommodation theory is that code switching acknowledges power imbalances for those of us who are marginalized. It recognizes the disadvantage of emotional labor that goes into involuntary code switching in order to adapt to the professional expectation. Code switching can happen across any social identity, such as race, religious identity, social class, and sexual identity. And finally, we heard stories from a few real-world professionals about how they voluntarily applied communication accommodation theory to obtain good results in the workplace, and when they've felt the emotional labor of having to code switch in order to meet norms and expectations. For deeper conversations and mentorship opportunities, I invite you to join the Right Brain Journey's mentoring membership community. Membership is free, and the application link is in the show notes for this episode. I am excited to tell you about our newest course from Right Brain Journeys. I will be teaching virtual public speaking for professionals, where we practice a variety of exercises to improve our business and professional communication skills. I will meet with you over the course of several weeks for a combination of live virtual group meetings and weekly self-paced modules. We're now accepting enrollment for the June 2021 cohort. See the show notes for the course link. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Right Brain Journeys podcast. We release episodes on the 15th of every month. Tune in next month for conversations about the benefits of being a mentor. See you on April 15th.